Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. Another great founder story this week on the show. We have Socrates of iHeartJane, the e-commerce and online ordering platform. Sock has an amazing story. Uh, he went to MIT. He has a background flying military helicopters. And we talk about how that founder story, his background, leads into what kind of leader he is today. We also talk about his tremendous growth growth and how to target MSOs, multi-state operators. Really fascinating discussion there. Uh, we also talk about how his his team is largely remote and how to build a culture uh, with sort of check-ins and daily stand-ups. Really fascinating conversation if you're a new founder trying to build a remote team. Uh, one of my favorites in a while, Socrates is really authentic. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. Uh, I learned a ton. You'll learn a ton. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Well, Socrates, thanks so much for joining us. Been looking forward to doing the call since yeah, we, uh, we connected a little earlier. But let's get you started on an easy one. What's iHeartJane? Um, iHeartJane is uh, now the largest online marketplace where consumers um, can find the products that they want. They can search for brands that they love. We locate those brands at all um, local dispensaries in real time, allow them to compare by price, read reviews, and then ultimately make an order at one of their local dispensaries. And then for the dispensaries, what we provide for them is a, a fully automated, completely turnkey e-commerce platform. Got it. Okay. So take me a little bit through the experience, right? Where, how would I find our IR Jane as a, as a consumer to start with? Yeah. So you can um, shop at iheartjane.com. Uh, which is our marketplace. Or if you shop at one of your favorite local dispensaries, you're probably shopping on an e-commerce platform that's powered by iHeartJane. Um, we can white label it. So really let the dispensaries do what they do best and that's sell a great product and pr provide great service. Um, and so once you once you locate either our, our, our marketplace or the dispensary's website, you can shop from there. Got it. And is that how most of the traffic comes to you from the dispensary partners or how are most people getting to the website? Um, you know, it's, it's growing all organically. We really, we, we, um, we're a scrappy company. I, some people call it resourceful. Uh, so really we, our philosophy is let's build great products and, and allow the users to kind of spread the word. And that's what we've seen. Um, and so, yeah, it's either through on behalf of the dispensaries or through their other customers and, and word of mouth. Got it. Okay. Um, and, Let's talk a little bit about the business model here. Like, how do you make money? Um, so we let the dispensary decide on how they want to pay us. Either it's a um, per order small referral fee or a, a small monthly subscription. Um, it's a month-to-month -month basis. We really lock, we, we don't lock anybody into any kind of contract. You can kind of leave our service at any time. And really, we think that's the fairest way for some of the um, small more boutique, less high volume stores. They love uh, that it's pay as you go. Um, and then those, you know, large MSOs or large single retailers that do a, a lot of volume like to build in some um, forecastability into their model and, and usually opt with the monthly subscription 
Um, so really, we just want to do what's fair to the dispensary, and we think these two payment structures work. Got it. Um, let's talk a little bit about sort of the profile, the target that you're going after. I'm sure it's changed quite a bit since you started with all the sort of roll-ups and MSOs. And when you think about sort of selling to the individual stores versus these MSOs or even the big vertically integrated single state, like how's that process different? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, we, we talked to... Um, the founders and the early team from OpenTable uh, a while back, just looking to get smart, just very similar models. And, and they shared something that I thought was pretty insightful. They said, you know, we can't just have all the um, chain restaurants on without any of the three-star Michelin-rated restaurants and vice versa. We can't just have all these high-end luxury restaurants without having kind of more of the mid-tier restaurants because at the end of the day, what we're trying to provide for our consumers is, is choice and selection. And I think that was really great for us to hear. So um, for us, we still want all the dispensaries um, on our marketplace just because I think that provides the consumer with the most selection. Um, but how we sell into each one and where we provide value is, is different. So for more of the small local retailers, what we provide for them is now something that they don't ever have to manually reconcile, meaning, you know, when a product is misspelled in their point of sale or abbreviated in a certain way or um, goes out of stock because it's a, you know, a very popular product, all that's completely fully automated. And, and these dispensaries that are, you know, really doing their absolute best to figure out, you know, the exact right amount of hires to make or the exact right amount of products to carry, at least they can figure, hey, we we have an e-commerce solution that's completely fully automated and quite frankly, very fairly priced. So that's how we, that's the value that we provide for these smaller retailers. And then now as these larger multi-state operators and larger conglomerates are, are starting to consolidate the market, we provide something for them that I think is is unique in the sense that they can get their entire fleet of, you know, 50 to 100 dispensaries that are operating across 12, 13, 14 state markets using five different point of sale systems have very different, you know, ways to run a dispensary in Illinois than it would be in Arizona, than it is in Florida, different management teams. And now here we, we, we provide for them is the standardized e-commerce platform they can roll out across their entire fleet, get their entire chain of, of dispensaries up and running in a matter of days. And then what that means for them is now because we are really the only ones that can really standardize taxonomy, meaning we can drive down to the individual skew. Um, that's how we populate and make these menus turnkey. What that now means in terms of data is that these dispensaries, these large MSOs can now compare their products across all different stores with a common denominator. They can compare and see how different brands are moving, how different SKUs are moving within geographies, across different geographies, all because they have this really standardized platform that we provide. So we think we provide value across the entire spectrum of dispensary profiles. Mm. Awesome. You brought up integrations there a little bit. How do you decide who to integrate with? Tell us a little bit about that process. Yeah. I find that some companies are really interested in integrating and some are a little more closed loop, don't really quite want to do that. How's been your experience there? Yeah. Um, our answer to that is we do whatever the client wants in the dispensary. Um, we actually call them our partners, not even clients. Um, they're dispensary partners. And so if they have a, dis uh, a point of sale system, um, and they say, hey, you guys pride yourselves on being able to fully automate e-commerce. 
we take that as, a, as, as ownership to say, hey, we have to provide a fully automated e-commerce solution no matter what point of sale they're using. So now we've proven real-time integration with over 40 point of sale systems, which at the end of the day provides our dispensary partners with the ability to find a point of sale system that works best for them. We all know that some are designed great for certain environments, others are better for other environments. And what we really wanna do is, is allow the dispensaries to have that power of choice without ever having to sacrifice a best-in-class e-commerce solution. Um, so that's, that's our philosophy on that. And when you think about, so it's totally driven by sort of what the partner is looking for. Yeah. Do you think about proactively like, okay, if we integrate with this POS, we open up this subset of potential partners? Yeah, it really, it comes organically. And, and these point of sale systems are, are doing a fantastic job of really establishing their position um, across different geographies. And really we feel like there's a, a true partnership there where um, these point of sale systems do great for a certain geography and provides a significant value because it fits quite nicely in that environment. And then we can come in behind that and complement that via e-commerce. There are some um, point of sale systems that now have accommodated for um, pushback integration. So now not only can we automate e-commerce by pulling menu items in real time, but now online orders that are placed through our platform through some point of sale systems can actually push directly back into the point of sale. So there's no separate fulfillment software necessary. That's really cool. I think that's the future. And I think a lot of these point of sale systems that are, are continuing to develop are, are realizing that this complement between e-commerce and point of sale, um, really you can offer the dispensary with two best in class solutions that work quite well together. Mm -hmm. How does that tie into loyalty? Like, do you start to get a sense of, okay, this customer likes to do delivery more. They like to do come to the store more. I know there's also the Jane lane and some of the partners, yeah. like how much is that data aggregated and how much is that then pushed back to the customer, like targeted that way? Yeah. Uh, you're talking about the customer for the disp the dispensaries exactly. being yeah. the customer. Yeah. yeah. Really? We, we pride ourselves in providing information you know, I, short story, sidebar, I used to be a management consultant um, in Silicon Valley, and we used to take a bunch of data and digest it and present this. And it was some really good work, a, a lot of maybe not necessary work. And what I mean by that is, you know, these companies will get data and they're like, this is cool. You're telling me, you know, all this information, but what, what can I actually do that's going to actually save me money? make me more money, get me more customers, you know, make me more efficient, tell me what I need to do. So um, for us, we, we, you know, we pr provide really actionable data because now we know, you know, in real time, a, 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 the, the live consumption of a certain product or brand or SKU, that's exciting. So we can share that information to all those local retailers and brands. We can tell them, you know, hey, here's your split between delivery um, and in-store pickup. Here's, you know, the amount of products that are being ordered. Here are different compliments to different brands. If someone picks up, you know, this pre-roll from this brand, two days later, they usually shop for this. Some really cool insights. And I think... Um, you know, as long as we can be good stewards of that, I think we can use these insights to not only benefit dispensaries, the brands, but also the consumers and, and hopefully advance this industry in the right direction. Got it. Yeah, it totally makes sense. So how do you think about success? How do you think about traction? Like when you wake up in the morning, what are the KPIs that, that you check first? Um, really kind of 
um, you know, you have the data, you have the, you have the quant data, you have GMV, you have number of orders, you have store count. That's, that's, you know, those are some dots. Um, but I think in order to connect those dots, really it's speaking to the customer. Um, and so we have a, a, a pretty robust partner success team that's um, committed to really establishing meaningful partnerships with dispensary partners and brands um, as, as really true partners. And so, you know, we learn from our dispensary partners every single day when they tell us, hey, we could, you know, there's an opportunity to improve here or, or there. Well, man, this is a real problem for us. If you could fix this, this would be great. That's where, in my opinion, the value lies. And as long as that is still happening, that's success to me. What scares me is when, you know, no one's talking and, uh, you know, no, no one's calling you back. That, that to me is, um, you know, we need to, th- that, that's when my ears perk up and we say, hey, let's go pay a little bit more attention. And then also listening to the end users. What do the customers want? You know, we make design decisions every single day. Um, and, I, and I think our best decisions are made when we can incorporate user feedback. And so it's pairing, you know, obviously those metrics and KPIs that everybody likes to talk about, but also not losing sight of, you know, there are humans behind this that are using this that have some probably great ideas as to how it can improve. Let's go get that value. Awesome. Um, I want to leave a good amount of time here to talk about your background. Everybody has an interesting story about how they got in the cannabis industry, (laughs) but yours is particularly interesting, I think. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. Yeah. Um, so it, it's interesting in the sense that, you know, I'm 36 now, about to actually be 37 in a couple of weeks. Congratulations. Um, yeah. Right. That? Congratulations. I made it this far. Still standing then. Um, I, but I, I, I first consumed cannabis when I was 29 years old. Um, and the reason why I actually never consumed cannabis up until that point was largely because I was in the army, um, since I was 18, went to West Point for college, um, which for those that, that don't know that is the, the military academy, um, very strict, you know, I, I don't think there was a single minute that was not accounted for, uh, for much of those four years. And, um, it was great, but at the same time, you know, cannabis wasn't there period. Um, and then I was in the army. I actually flew Apache helicopters, um, uh, that's crazy. It was crazy. Oh, it was crazy. Where like, did you fly them? I flew all over there, uh, the U S in Korea and Iraq. Um, yeah, it was, you know, you thinking back when you were 22, 23 and there was in your mind, there was nothing that you couldn't do. And, uh, I try to remind myself of that of being an entrepreneur of like, Hey, you used to, used to fly Apache helicopters when you were, you know, 22, you're a little bit more seasoned now. So, and it's, this is certainly not as hard as flying an Apache helicopter at night over Baghdad. So, you know, put things in perspective. Um, I, I I say that a bit facetiously. This is very hard, (laughs) but, uh, different kind of hard, different kind of hard, different kind of fun too. I'm having a real blast, but but bottom line is I I left the service. I was at business school at, at MIT. I was, you know, just everything I did was so intense. Um, and I think that was just, trained into me because I was training to make life and death decisions. So you had to be intense. You can't, you can't mess around with that type of stuff. But you know, when you're taking notes in economics class, it's not life and death. And I finally, you know, I try to work out. I tried to meditate. I tried to do yoga. I tried everything. And my wife actually said, you know what, why don't you just give cannabis a shot? Um, and I did, I was a little bit reluctant and I did, 
I won't say it saved my life, but I, I certainly will say it did change my life. It really, um, it, it, it still to this day does, brings me a real sense of presence, um, allows me to view some things that maybe I've been having trouble viewing from a different perspective, and that changes the environment. Um, I think ultimately it really allows me to connect with my loved ones. Um, and I think for a lot of military veterans, it's a great opportunity to connect with your own self again outside the uniform where I wasn't, you know, Captain Rosenfeld, I was just sock. And uh, once that experience took place for me, man, I was, um, I was a fan. I, I really, not only a fan, but a student, and I studied it, and I said to myself, this was back in 2011, I said, man, if this product makes me feel this way, and so many other of my veteran friends are also feeling this way, this is not going to be illegal forever. And uh, let's go figure out a way to bring this to the people. And um, I think we have a small part in that. It's, it's a really gratifying experience for me and something that I know me and my team take very, very seriously. Super cool. Yeah. Super cool background there. So when does the idea for I Heart Jane come along? Honestly, um, my wife's birthday in 2015. So early, early 2015, um, I had an idea. I w- was um, at McKinsey. Part of the study had me really looking and taking a really deep dive into marketplace strategy. Started studying marketplace strategy and fell in love with it. I thought it really, at the end of the day, what it provides for the people is purchasing power. You know, if you think, I just booked a last minute flight a couple days ago. I go on, I decide what price I want to set. I decide when I want to take off. And that's a beautiful thing. And I, and I think that's the way it should be. Um, I, I, I feel like consumers no longer will stand for being exploited with misinformation or siloed information. And, and I think the newer users expect information. I think there's no better application for cannabis. So I thought, hmm, you know, in five years or so, people will expect to shop for their cannabis like they shop for everything else online. If you think about how you find uh, a you know, a documentary on Netflix or how you find a, a new track on Spotify or really the last thing you purchased on Amazon. Think about that, that experience or, or, you know, a, a flight ticket. You know, I think for so long we've been anchored with um, shopping at, our, at the way we shop for restaurants and that works for restaurants. If I want to try a new restaurant, I'm eager to go to that restaurant and then I'll decide the menu item. But in cannabis, our hypothesis, and, and why we've built something that I believe is unique and no one else can really replicate, is our hypothesis is that consumers really love their dispensary and will visit their dispensary's website for that. But those that maybe are looking for a certain brand or a, a, a certain product, um, let's help them shop and, and discover new products like they're used to shopping and discovering products everywhere else in their in their world um and so that's why we decided to go and build this this marketplace and easier said than done as you know because everything is offline you can't go direct to consumer so how do you build this this experience when you don't yourself control the inventory and within that challenge is a, a lot of beautiful things occur so a lot of those consumer experiences that you talked about are rely on direct to consumer type stuff, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, is that something that you, you thought about along the way, or is that something you think about in the future? It's a great question, and I really I feel blessed that that was never even an option for us, because if it was, we would have looked a lot like Amazon, and I think if we would have looked looked a lot like Amazon, we would have been doing a lot of the similar things that Amazon is doing. They do some amazing things. 
But at the end of the day, I don't think anybody can argue against the fact that they're disintermediating local retail. Mm -hmm. And for us, cannabis, by the nature of this beautifully backwards, complex, convoluted regulatory evolution, this is driven commerce down to the most hyper-local level, right? You can't order a product in California and have it shipped to, um, you know, Colorado and vice versa. And so for us, for the consumer, we said, okay, the consumer expects the experience like Amazon. Type in a brand, go and find it, compare by price, read actual reviews. Don't force me to pick the seller first, right? And, but I, I think um, in that sense, how do we build it when we don't ourselves control the inventory? That's what really required us to be able to integrate in real time to all these point of sale systems. And then we became through that, it was a blessing where we realized, man, no longer does an online tech company have to compete directly against offline retailers, but instead they can complement one another. You have an online um, company that is uh, really taking the existing infrastructure in the offline world and replicating that with no work required whatsoever on that retailer because they're already working their ass off on the showroom floor and now replicating that in a digital environment. That's really cool. I think that's where the future of e-commerce is, period. Not with everything. Obviously, there are things that are going to just have to get shipped to you. But I think if we can really see past what's next after this amazon.com not that amazon.com is going to go away forever it'll always be around but it, it, does the consumer have the opportunity to shop locally with the same level of purchasing power that's the question and that's what we're providing for these cannabis consumers today and i think that's the future for all other retail verticals or, or most other retail verticals for for years to come Got it. Well said. Um, so take me back a little bit to the early days. You have this great idea. You're studying marketplaces. Tell me about sort of raising the first dollars and that experience for you. And um, hmm. it's not done lightly. It is. Um, I've commanded a company in combat. I've gone to ranger school. I've done, I've done some difficult stuff. Um, this ranks right up there. Different, obviously, context. But the ability to take an idea. You don't have, like at least we have a product now, right? Before, I didn't have a team. I mean, I had my, my brother and some of my closest friends. Um, and I had a PowerPoint slide and like a business plan. And, but I had, a, uh, I had a vision and I had a passion. And, um, you know, I, I think my brother's ability and expertise applying this systems integration, um, very sophisticated approach, proven that in other industries helped. Um, but I didn't have any VCs I could go to. A lot of people that I called said, uh, I don't want to give my money to you because I'm scared that, you know, the feds are going to come. Um, what happens if this gets shut down? All these different things, you know, why are you doing this to your career? And you know what happened, man? The harder, I realized the harder it was for me to raise, the more it surfaced those that really were believers in either me and my team or our vision. And so I don't think any, if there are any entrepreneurs listening to that, like if you believe in it and you know it's special, there are a lot of ideas that aren't, and I've had them many, 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 that are like, oh yeah, okay, that's, that's a bad idea. Um, thank you for calling that to my attention. But if you know it, and people do, 
because it's because you can't run to a VC and like, hey, you're you know you're not on the cover of Forbes and people aren't throwing you money. That's also in a, the opportunity to really uncover teammates that really believe in you, right? When you can only offer a, them a pack of ramen and an air mattress, which is what how, how our team really literally got started. Um, you'll find investors that really believe in you that are willing to take the risk and get in the trenches with you. So as hard as it was, you know, my, my true friends, really my friends from like the army were writing checks to get started, um, that we could piece this thing together. And now, you know, we, we have something and it's gaining momentum and I'll never forget the, the early ones. And I think, um, again, you know, just to remind myself, the harder it is, there's usually some special behind that and, you know, don't lose sight of that. Yeah. But yeah, it was... To answer your question directly, it was damn hard. <laughs> it Got still it. is. It's never easy. Anybody who says it's easy is lying. Yeah. Um, so now you're raising another round, and yep. without getting too specific about it, sure. how have those conversations changed? I mean, certainly the investors have changed. Your product has grown. Has it gotten any easier? Hmm. It's gotten easier in the sense that the industry, like people are like, okay, this industry is not going anywhere. And not only is it not going anywhere, this is like probably no other industry that we've ever seen. This isn't high fashion. This isn't alcohol. This is a product, a retail product, that I don't think we've ever witnessed um, how popular this product is and will continue to be um, and how much it means to people. So now, you know, Silicon Valley investors are, are very interested in understanding the opportunity. Um, Wall Street's very interested in the opportunity. And it's been great to see a lot more of these sophisticated investors getting involved because I think they're going to hold um, their portfolio companies accountable. And I think that's, you know, not uh, in a negative way, in a, in a great way to say, hey, you know, especially in the tech space, which is what the only really space I can speak about, this is no longer like, oh, this is, is your product good enough for cannabis? That conversation's over. This conversation is now like, hey, what are you doing in the cannabis industry? And because you're doing in the cannabis industry, what can we now take from that and apply elsewhere? That's really exciting. And I think we're starting to see the early indications of that. And I think, you know, all the really great conversations I've had with very sophisticated investors are investors that view us as a tech company, not as a cannabis company. Mm -hmm. And we've always been a tech company, but I think slowly, slowly now, you know, that's becoming mainstream. Yeah, um, that's a great transition to my next question. When, yeah. you, when you think about sort of that lead investor, do you want it to be a Silicon Valley tech VC or do you want somebody that's uh, more cannabis focused because maybe they have insight into MSOs and a lot of partners? Yeah, it's a great question. There's a... Um, there's a there's a um, a unit in the army called Delta Force, very elite, like the highest, most elite, and they have this amazing saying. I you know they they see the cream of the crop in the really in the U.S. Uh, services, and they say we're not looking for the best guy, we're looking for the right guy, mm -hmm. and I think that was our approach too to to um, who we want to invite uh, in this journey with us. Really, it's less so about a brand name to us and it's more about are you going to be part of the team are you going to be able to help us continue to um, 
make our vision turn into a reality? Um, do you have the ability to be patient and flexible? And, and cause that's really what I think disruptive companies need to be, um, patient on the vision, be able to execute very nimbly and, and flexibly. Um, and also do you have, I think you're right. Do you have do you, the knowledge in the cannabis industry to be helpful? Because I'll be honest with you, I've had conversations with Silicon Valley investors that are brilliant, um, but maybe don't understand the landscape as, as, as much as they probably need to in cannabis. They overlook a lot of things. Um, so that finding that right mix for us, and, and it's not one investor that has all of it, right? It's, it's one investor in a complement of other investors. That's how we like to think of it. And also complement to our team and my management style, et cetera. Um, that's important to us. And, we, and, and we've been blessed with really being able to talk to a lot of them. And, and the good news is there are a lot more of these good investors, quote unquote, coming, coming in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, awesome. Um, you talked a little bit about team. Uh, one of the things interesting about your company is you're largely remote. Yeah. How does that work? Tell us about the culture a little bit. And yeah. Did that just happen or was that intentional in some way? You know, um, I hate to keep bringing up the army analogies. I apologize. But I, I remember running a, 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 a company in Iraq and we had remote people all over. It wasn't just in Baghdad. It was down south. It was, it was north. And we ran 24-7 seamlessly. So that taught me very early on that with the right infrastructure, the right processes in place, you could grow very quickly and do it from a dispersed um, kind of infrastructure. So we brought that from day one, you know, and it's not just in the army. I remember doing this study uh, as a consultant on a construction site and every single morning at the (laughs) really early in the morning, every day, they'd have this daily standup. Say, okay, let's go around and say, what did you say you were going to do yesterday? Right? Did you get it done? Why or why not? What are you going to do today? Where do you need help? And it builds in this beautiful tempo and cadence where people can ask for help. People hold, hold themselves accountable. And at the end of the day, you're talking to someone every single day. So communication is key. Um, can you communicate? And if you can, you can move quick. And if you can move quick, then you can scale. And, and that's what we intend to do and continue to do. So talk about your management style a little bit. Is working at your company like being in the Army? Is that- <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because you could probably tell I'm quite intense. Um, this is me relaxed. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you'd have to ask my team. Um, we... we uh, I, I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of discipline, but it's never top down. It's really it's it's uh, you ever been like part of a winning team, and it's everybody just plays to their best. You know, they show up on time, they're prepared. When you're going over film, you're taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. That that it's it, it's not like the coach that's dictating that. The coach sets the tone, but it's actually the players that are the culture. And for us, I think that's a lot of what this team is, is, you know, you talk to anybody, you talk to some of our guys on the East coast, some of our guys, Pacific Northwest, uh, you know, down in LA, even in our headquarters in Santa Cruz, there's a culture there. um, And I think that's just at the end of the day, 
fantastic team players that hold themselves accountable because they they understand that they're part of a championship team. Got it. You brought up being in Santa Cruz, which maybe some people would view as a little strange place to have a headquarters for a tech company. We like keep Santa um, Cruz strange, man. We like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> how do you think has it affected you? I mean, I guess there's pros and cons. Yeah, right? no, yeah. it absolutely. I mean, you 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 can't help but absorb, you know, your your surroundings, and that was by intent. We didn't really. We love. You know, I used to live in Palo Alto, in the heart of Silicon Valley, and I and I and I love that area. But I um, wanted to start a company that you could step right outside and be in the outdoors. Um, I wanted to start a company that allowed for our employees to find balance. Um, that was very where you could just forget about everything else and just pursue your passions, both at work, outside of work. Uh, it's a great place to raise a family. It has a great history in cannabis. And at the end of the day, there are a lot of very talented engineers that live and work out of Santa Cruz, Monterey, that make that very treacherous drive across Highway 17, if you guys are familiar with that drive, into Silicon Valley to work for Facebook and Google. And these are the, the best engineers in the world. And they live by the beach. And our philosophy is, why don't we just put an office by the beach and spend, you know, let people spend more time where they live? And so uh, it's worked out for us thus far. But um, certainly we've taken on that kind of, small town grassroots vibe that is Santa Cruz, but, um, uh, don't get it twisted. We are, we, you know, have some extremely high talented individuals. Yep. Got it. Um, one of the other things maybe a little unusual about your company, there's six founders. <laughs> Talk to me about that. Usually it's two, maybe three. <laughs> How do you get to six? You know, I need all the help I could get. Um, <laughs> I did, man. Um, um, so, there were some classmates out of MIT, and I knew that, uh, you know, as, as my classmates from MIT will attest to, I paid attention in some classes. I didn't pay attention in, in all of my classes. So I, I needed to make sure that um, I had the right, the right team around me. You know, we had um, uh, three classmates of mine from, from MIT, all very, very varied experience levels. And at the, day, at the end of the day, and you'll see this is a common thread, is trust. Um, I had one of my, my closest friends um, growing up. Uh, he was an artist. I, he was in between jobs, traveling the world. If you, if you know who I'm talking about, you'll, you'll know. And I remember asking him, saying, hey, I got a crazy idea, and I'm wondering if you just want to, and he said, stop right there, I'm in. Um, and said, let's, let's go and explore this. And he was, you know, he built the first design of Jane ever. Um, and then lastly, and not least importantly, is my brother, um, Abe. I mean, just a, and he won't say it, but he's, he's a very talented systems integrator, um, a great problem solver. Uh, and I, I know that, and he knows that, that we've always wanted to start a company together. And, um, you know, I found five guys that I trust and are very skilled and we're willing to work for pennies and, uh, now we're chasing this dream together and it's been an absolute dream come true. Got it. Yeah. Love it. Um, shift gears a little bit. Cool. Let's talk a little bit about you. Um, how do you stay informed? There's so many outlets now in Canvas. There used to be like two or three that yeah. you could read. Yeah. Now it's everywhere. Like when you yeah. wake up, what do you what do you read? How do you stay informed? Well, I listen to this podcast. Well, thank one, you. Man. Yeah. Um, am I the first one to say that? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, I do. You have a really great Great. Thank really, you very much. Um, That's nice of you to say. Yeah, that. it's really cool, man. Um, 
I, 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 I follow some news sources, but again, my team is talking to the, to the ground. You know what I mean? It's it, like, here's another army analogy for you. No Intel is worth a damn if it's not coming from a reputable source. And so we, we, that again is, is even more opportunity for us to engage our clients, engage our customers. That's how we do it. I, I, I subscribe to, you know, the, the news feeds from Apple news, et cetera, some blogs that are very interesting. Um, but it's, it's what's, what's even better is like getting some Intel and then seeing it post on, you know, the internet a day later or something like that. That's when you know, you've got the trust of your network and that's, that, in my opinion, is the, the biggest indication of success. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, so you said you didn't try Canvas till 29. 29. How has your relationship with it changed since starting? <laughs> this? Um, I love it. I, lo- I love it. I, uh, it's not for everyone. Um, I, I think I've, I'm really lucky I started later in my life. You know, I tried alcohol early on, all the other things that you do early on, and you, you really have no idea why you do it why you shouldn't be doing it. There's no intent there. And for me, cannabis, you know, I went through when I was first trying it, you know, the normal, like, Oh, I, you know, I want to music sounds better and food tastes better. And it is, it's amazing. Um, but for me, it's, it's really built into my wellness routine. Um, you know, in the evenings, I, I love to, to have some key cocoa tea. And that's just a free plug for mm-hmm. that tea is mm-hmm. really good. Um, and, and that helps me have a great night's sleep. Um, I use, you know, Kaizen topical cream for aches and pains, uh, um, down a, a local Santa Cruz veterans Alliance product is unbelievable. Um, I will consume, you know, uh, some flour and go for a surf or go for a hike on the weekends. So it's, it's, um, for me, it's always with intent and, uh, it really helps, um, bring me a sense of, of well-being no matter what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned that some of your early checks were from, uh, friends from the army. Yeah. When you were getting started, or I guess even today, like, is there a sort of section of your community or your peers that are still like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> like, why, why weed? You know? Um, for those that really know me, nothing surprises them at this point. Um, <laughs> no, no more. There's, there's never been any negative stuff for my friends in the military. Um, because quite frankly, they had, they, we all have friends that have, um, uh, had some issues transitioning out of the service. We all, every single veteran has issues. You ever transition a job, move a f- your family, you know, to, that's stressful and you need time to transition. Imagine coming from a war zone, you know, and then I can't imagine. Yeah. Two no. weeks later, you're in the classroom. Like that's, it doesn't end when you take the uniform off. That, it's a process. Um, so I think some of the best things that this has done, and I think, you know, this is what it's all about for me, you know, working with talented people, um, helping customers find medicine that they want, helping retailers really improve their operations. And then also being a trusted voice for veterans wanting to learn about cannabis. So now instead of like, Hey, what are you doing? I get calls like, Hey sock. Um, when you were first trying, you know, how did you communicate this to your wife? Or, um, you know, I'm a parent. 
is this is this safe to take? Or hey, man, I, I've been taking painkillers now for the past three years. My back is killing me. These painkillers don't even work. It's killing my stomach. Is there something else I can use? I have these conversations weekly. Those that's like for me, that's the real special part. And I think all of us, right, being early in this industry have an obligation as stewards to do this the right way, share honestly um, their relationship with cannabis, how they view it. Because at the end of the day, let's not forget <laughs> this product helps people. There's a lot of money and you know, Wall Street's interested and it's f- fast and growing. But at the end of the day, this really plays a huge part in people's lives. And um, for me, my veteran network and having these kind of conversations um, is really a great reminder of why we're doing what we're doing and, and why we need to keep doing the right thing. Do it the right way. Don't take any shortcuts because at the end of the day, it's, you know, people on the other end of this software using it, depending on it. I think that's as good a place to wrap up as any. Thanks so cool, much, Sock. It's been really great. Uh, how can our audience help you? Are you hiring for anything? Or? We are. We are hiring. So if you can sell, if you can build, if you can design software, um, reach out to us at info at iHeartJane dot com. Um, if you're a, a, a local dispensary looking to um, uh, use our service, reach out to us. Uh, if you're a customer that has great ideas, reach out to us as well. Um, but thanks very much for having me. Thank you. It's been great.